0: Hello, this is Dr. Claire Steffen, and today I want to talk about post traumatic stress or PTS, and in some circles it's referred to as PTSD post traumatic stress disorder. Over the 30 years that I've been a psychologist, naturopath, certified drug and alcohol counselor, and life coach, wellness coach, and business coach. I have worked extensively with post-traumatic stress. Initially, many years ago when we started studying post-traumatic stress and its number of different names it's been referred to as, like shell shock, um, we exclusively were looking at it from the perspective of military experience when soldiers returned home from the war. And we thought that it really was all about them and that it really didn't refer to any other individuals. Psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, and therapists, we all use what's called the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, which is in its fifth revision. And that manual assists in diagnosing for treatment purposes when we're working with an individual providing mental health services. And as I stated before, there are political implications in providing a mental health diagnosis. We start to look at the individual as if they are unwell and perhaps unable to function. And this can change their life dramatically. Um, So, as I have been working with individuals for all these years, and as I said, we initially started to look at post-traumatic stress as specific to military experience, there were many of us in the field who were noting that there's many different ways an individual can sustain trauma, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about military experience. Um, The concept was that if you had had a life-threatening situation and it left you incapacitated then it could be that you were experiencing post-traumatic stress. Well, logically, it follows that it's not just a military experience that can cause us to experience trauma. In fact, some individuals even have experienced trauma in their homes. Trauma can be physical, including sexual trauma. It can be emotional and even social. And some of the specific symptoms that are exhibited that go along with post-traumatic stress have to do with exposure. So it did make sense that we were talking about it from a military stance. But as I said, you know, we can also experience traumatic events in multiple settings, and it can apply to individuals that don't have any military experience at all. So that's one of the key components of the diagnosis is exposure. And this is important in understanding how do we manage and regulate the emotional response that trigger symptoms when there is exposure. Now, logically you think just avoid anything that's going to trigger you, but that isn't entirely possible because sometimes triggers can be a sensory input. They can be about smell, they can be a sound. Uh, They can be certain words. Uh, They can be loud noises. And not all of that can be easily controlled by an individual who has post-traumatic stress. And the truth of the matter is, the more we try to avoid, the more intense the anxiety surrounding those symptoms increases, and it can become even worse and exacerbate the condition. Um, So we have to teach techniques to learn about gradual exposure and how to manage and tolerate anxiety when you're in a situation that evokes or triggers you to become anxious. So that's one key component of it. The other is dissociation. And people tend to think of dissociation as something that's you know definitely unwanted. But if you think about it from the perspective of, it's happening because your brain is trying to protect you. And your brain works well in doing that. The difference is that sometimes we perceive a situation as threatening because it triggers a memory. And it may not truly be threatening, but your brain doesn't know the difference. It's only responding to the stimuli it receives, and it reacts accordingly. So we have to learn to be able to override the messages that are coming through that sensory input and be able to do some breathing or guided imagery and visualization to be able to stay in a situation that is not threatening when we're perceiving it to be a threat. Um, So dissociation, as I said, is not entirely dysfunctional. It's your brain trying to protect you. Um, And you can learn to understand when it's happening and why it's happening and how to respond accordingly. And that sometimes those memories that are being triggered are not a present danger and it isn't really happening to you in the current time. It's just your brain is reliving it, which leads us into the next symptom, which are flashbacks. We owe a debt of gratitude to our soldiers many of whom came back from various wars and were diagnosed in ways that were inaccurate. Sometimes they were diagnosed with schizophrenia and treated with medications that are meant for psychosis because, in fact, they were experiencing flashbacks. And so it may have appeared as if they were delusional. Um, and, you know, we didn't really understand the power of perception in that way that it could take a person back to the battleground and that they could be reliving something even though it wasn't, as I said earlier, a current and present danger. But as we began to understand that, we began to treat it differently. And, you know, those medications that were given previously to soldiers that were for uh, psychosis you know, didn't necessarily work. And in some cases, it exacerbated the situation and made things much worse for them. And so many of them went through a lot of suffering in terms of mental health treatment. And they helped us understand better what it looks like when a person experienced post-traumatic stress. In some cases, medication might be necessary in order to reduce the symptoms of PTS, which may be about flashbacks or it may be about anxiety, or it could be sleep disruption, which is another serious symptom that occurs. So as I'm talking, you can understand the complexity of this diagnosis and why in previous times we might have misunderstood it and misdiagnosed because there are a multitude of symptoms you know, that are triggering uh, events that cause them to appear. And sleep disruption is one that is a, a large complaint by many individuals who suffer from PTS. And, you know, when children experience symptoms of PTS, they don't always have the language to be able to describe exactly what they're feeling if they're dissociating or if they're not sleeping and they wake up early and they are laying there, for hours unable to sleep. Um, and it can affect, you know, their school and work performance for adults. Um, and, and so, like I said, it's a very complex kind of condition. Um, so understanding post-traumatic stress from the perspective of what Thomas Saas and R. D. Ling taught us can also be an important piece of the puzzle. Um, They taught us to look at it from a systems approach and that sometimes the individual who is labeled or diagnosed with a mental health condition can actually have some very astute information that can help us understand the problem. If it's in a family dynamic or even in an organization, that can become sick just like individuals can become sick. And so the politics of labeling someone as sick as I said, can sometimes appear as if they are unable to function. Um, And treating them as if they are unable to function can cause them to become sicker. And then ultimately it becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy. So we need to understand post-traumatic stress and its full complexity that some of these symptoms appear and come and go throughout the course of an hour, a day, a week, and that we have to have an array of techniques in order to uh, treat it. And it's not just medication that we can rely on because medications can be inconsistent in terms of the response the individual has to it. One individual may respond very well and it may reduce the symptoms of depression or anxiety that are associated with PTSD Whereas for another individual, that same medication might actually make them more anxious or depressed. And so you never want to rely entirely on medication as the answer to the problem. Um, And, you know, again, you look at why do we get post-traumatic stress? You know, the brain is storing information, and it's being triggered, and it is reliving a situation that may not be currently present. Brussel Vandercock told us in the Body Keeps the score, that you know the trauma is felt not just in the brain but throughout the entire body. So it's not unusual that individuals who have PTS will exhibit other symptoms that are physical ailments, you know, like arthritis, or um, they may have symptoms of fibromyalgia. Um, or other types of inflammatory conditions. Um, And when you think about what happens when an individual is experiencing anxiety, that heart racing can trigger people to feel as if they're having a heart attack. I remember at one point I was working inside the VA And we had an individual come in who thought he was having a heart attack. He had been living out in the hills of California, as were many veterans, because they couldn't tolerate living amongst uh, society. And they had more control over their symptoms if they lived in a community out in the mountains. Anyway, he thought he was having a heart attack, and he came in, and it was really just a severe anxiety attack. And so we were able to get him involved in PTSD groups. um, And, you know, he became more actively involved with the veterans community, which gave him immense support that he didn't have in quite the same way living out in the hills. And over time, he showed improvement. Having emotional support, having a safe person, Uh, to be able to reveal when you're triggered and when you're feeling anxious is another key component uh, to the treatment of PTS. Um, One of the other things is that, you know, when you look at how do you regulate emotions, um, you know, earlier on in treating uh, individuals with PTS and PTSD, um, we sometimes would also make a misdiagnosis and think they were exhibiting signs of bipolar depression. So they were treated with those medications as well. And, you know, because of the complexity of the um, mental health condition, it can at times mimic bipolar depression. Uh, And so you can get this kind of manic overlay, and you can sometimes have hypomania and sometimes just severe depression. Um, And so again, the complexity of the condition. And so medications can be helpful at times in those situations, but not a total solution to the problem. Because people have to learn how to regulate their emotions and how to manage them effectively so that they have a sense of control over what is happening in their brain and what is happening throughout their body. So, you know, we've talked about exposure, we've talked about emotional regulation, we've talked about dissociation, um, you know, and uh, there are many other symptoms that can occur in terms of uh, PTS and, you know, it can be quite scary for an individual when it happens And uh, it takes them by surprise because people will tend to deny that they have been traumatized. I've worked with police officers, uh, fire captains, firemen, um, military people. And the reason they deny it is because it has repercussions in the work setting. And it can end up with them being forced into time off or first forced retirement, or can prevent them from promoting on their jobs. Um, and also, n- nobody really wants to be labeled as being mentally ill in some ways because of the way our culture tends to look at it. Now, we've gotten much better with this, and there's more understanding about mental health issues and we've, you know, preaching in some ways that, why is it any different than a physical ailment? why don't we look at mental health as we do physical health issues and treat it accordingly and accept that sometimes the brain, like any other organ, uh, can have illness or have problems. And if we learn to intelligently treat it, we can do much better. Um, I was trained in the methods for, from Dr. Amen uh, using SPECT imaging which is very helpful because, you know, it's not just kind of targeting and troubleshooting symptoms. We're going to look at it more holistically and be able to understand that um, what's going on in the brain, as I said earlier, also affects the entire body. But if we can see what it looks like in an active state, as well as a resting state, then we have a better understanding of what really is happening in the brain and how to treat it more effectively. So whether or not it requires medications or an array of supplements, um, perhaps some other types of treatment, occupational therapy, um, maybe some speech therapy for um, the language component of it um, that might involve memory dysfunction, uh, cognitive fog, you know, which also can be addressed in uh, psychological treatments. Um, but and these are again some of the symptoms that people will complain about who suffer from PTS or PTSD. Um, so again, you know, I have found that people who suffer with this specific condition also have multitude of strengths that they don't always get credit for or don't always recognize. To survive any situation that is traumatic, people develop survivor skills. And they have ways of problem-solving and being able to look at complex situations from a different perspective. So they may have developed some techniques or skills um, in order to deal with a situation. Now, you know, in cases of families in which there is traumatic events happening, um, unfortunately, it can leave... Individuals living in those situations susceptible uh, to abuse or neglect. And it can have long-reaching effects that go not only from childhood but into adulthood. And it can impact the way that they relate and are able to trust or feel safe in situations. Um, That being said, you know, people who survive those situations they gain a lot of ability to uh, deal with financial stress, emotional stress, um, psychological stress, um, and they don't always, you know, recognize it in their own abilities either. So you look at it from a strength-based perspective, and you help people start to understand what did you do in order to survive that situation, and what skills did you acquire that helped you be able to get up every day and go to school or go to work or do um, what was necessary to keep a family functioning. You know, and in some cases, women are stuck in those situations financially and can't leave um, because they're not financially independent anymore and they're worried about what will happen to their children and even sometimes what will happen to the family pet and how that will impact the children. Um, so people, they acquire a multitude of strengths and skills that are very important to highlight and recognize in treatment and or for yourself if you're an individual who has survived that kind of situation. And to think about it not just from the point of view of being a survivor, but being someone who has integrated these skills into their life and have built some sustainability and resilience. So looking for what do we call resilience, which is key in recovery to post-traumatic stress. So um, how do you define resilience for yourself and what does it look like? And um, how do you understand what it means to be resilient? So some of the techniques, you know, as I said earlier, involve developing resilience, Developing tolerance for anxiety in new situations or situations that are triggering as long as they're truly not threatening, um, using guided imagery, deep breathing techniques, addressing any reliance on substances, which is oftentimes a problem, that people will begin self-medicating, And whether it's alcohol or drugs or even legal ones such as marijuana, people can become very dependent on those and lose sight of uh, their identity in some ways. Um, In another session, I'll talk about addiction, but um, it is sometimes an important factor to assess for when treating PTS or being treated for PTS and whether or not... um, your counseling is specifically addressing that or an individual is involved in some type of 12-step program, it is important to address that specific aspect of self-medication and and treating post-traumatic stress with a substance. And, you know, we can use a lot of different substances. It doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. It can be food. It could be sex, uh, any number of things, you know, gaming Internet, a lot of things can become addictive in the culture in which we live. So, um, you can see again, as I said, that post traumatic stress is a complex condition, um, but it's not doomsday. You know, people are resilient in many ways, and there are many, many strengths that people develop who do have PTS or PTSD, and they can help each other. It is important to share your story. Just a reminder, as people share their story, whether it's in therapy or in support groups or someplace else with a trusted individual, um, go slow and don't share too much at once uh, because revealing too much and going too deep too quickly can be re-triggering. And we don't want anybody to spin out and become more out of control or feel as if they are more out of control from PTS. You know, sadly, we have a number of individuals in jails and prisons who were in the military who had PTS and ended up in situations perhaps they were self-medicating. And it's not just a a situation of making poor judgments. um, And these are not always individuals who were criminal. Um, It's an unfortunate byproduct or outcome. But ideally, what we want to do with whoever we're talking about, whether it's a military person, you know, or a civilian, uh, we want to look at PTS from a holistic perspective and for the complexity of the condition and to treat it in a sensitive manner and look at it from the strength-based perspective and utilize those strengths to help a person heal and to help families heal. Thank you for listening. And I'm glad you tuned in to the Heal Your Brain Toolbox. And please return another day and we'll talk some more about how to keep your brain healthy and ways to focus on your strengths within your brain.